Welcome to Open Mind GFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am here with Martin Goofy Willis. Me? Yeah, you're being, you're being kind of goofy this morning. See, look. Oh, I know. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, I like that about myself. Yeah, it's a good thing by far. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to take life seriously at all anymore. Mm-hmm. That's it. I'm done. Really? Yeah. Is there something recently that re- that has pushed you to this? Uh, aliens are here. Oh, wow. A- yeah. And what gave you that revelation? Well, I also heard that a certain uh, gentleman that I can probably just tell you this without identifying him is now stating that there are beings inside the sun. Have you heard that one? That what's that song? It that reminds me of this song. Is it Children of the Sun? <laughs> Children of the Sun. Something like that. And, and his the people that, you know, like follow him are like okay with that. Really? That's strange. Yeah. See, I didn't say you were gonna give uh that something like that was gonna be your motivation because if that truly does convince you, then I think you've got a problem. Um that that's that you're weird. <laughs> Oh, oh! I've got problems. Yeah, yeah. I'll be the first. To no, that. but to be honest, yeah. one of the most compelling people um, to discuss, you know, possible alien visitors was one of your guests, your last guest, the aerial school witness. Um, I know how Boy, fascinating. So cool. Of, yeah, I'm getting a lot of feedback, more than I've ever gotten for any show I've ever done since I've started. Yeah, well, we had, um, you know, Emily Trim, another witness at our conference. You were there, I think, right? Yes, I was. It was very emotional. It was actually really good. Yeah, that was amazing. So, um, you know, when they these guys were children having this strange experience where they see a creature and then now being older, um, they can just, I guess, articulate it a bit more. But uh, it just it's just so fascinating. Yeah, and last week's the guest I had on my show, uh, Summer Siddick. Um, I'm telling you, she was so well spoken, and um, I've, like I said, I've had never had so much feedback from someone uh, being on my show. And you know, by the time you get done listening to her, it's like, wow, you know, I am totally convinced that uh, you know what she's saying is is true. How cool! That's really cool. Interesting. So, uh, my show today we should probably get into. And, of course, we talked a lot about Tom DeLonge and stuff. But one of the cases in that press conference was about this USS Nimitz, this Navy case. And Mm. one of the experts on that case, or at least someone who's investigated that a lot, is Robert Powell. 
um, good friend. I've had him on the show a few times before because he's so credible and interesting and, and he's done some cool stuff. So he and I are discussing that Nimitz case and some other stuff uh, on the show today. Wow. I really like Robert. He's really, really uh, very scientific and he's in person down to earth guy. Real mm-hmm. nice guy. And he's done some really cool stuff in relation to this case. Really, I'm really excited to listen. Yeah, you should be. Oh, you should be. Don't make me goofy. It's funny because, you know, um, I can't help but be help but be goofy, and maybe that's why we get along because you're goofy too. Uh, but it's it, sometimes when the topics are serious, you know, like last time was Leslie Kane and this time it's Robert, and uh, it's interesting stuff. You know, I there's a tinge of guilt because I know some of them would like us to get to the serious stuff uh, and maybe like to skip the goofy, but they can fast forward. But I just, you know what? I couldn't not be goofy even if I tried really hard. <laughs> All right. That's so Alejandro the Goofy Rojas. The Goofy UFO Show. So That's anyway, right. we don't get too goofy, though. We have fun, but we, of course, cover some very serious stuff, which is why you're here, because you or the UFO Newsman. Um, you're supposed to bring us some good UFO news every week, and uh, I hope that you have something today. I am. Coming at you here from the state of Maine, I have this great story. Nice. Uh, well, I, I forget how the announcer's voice. I, I can't always do that too well. But anyway, I love love this, uh, this story. This is Star Trek's creator's son, discusses UFOs and aliens. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, Gene Roddenberry's son, Eugene. Uh, wow. At, what a great video that is. And uh, I'm glad you liked it. I, I really do. And uh, that was by uh, Jeremy Corbell, I believe, mm-hmm. actually, this interview. And some of the things he says is uh, he's very intelligent, by the way. You can tell right away. Uh, very well spoken, and he's you know basically saying you know the, with uh, that he believes that there is life on other planets, and that he hopes are super in, evolved and intelligent, and uh, have chosen not to interfere with us. Uh, that's what he basically believes that he doesn't think they're going to interfere with us when um, when asked if he was afraid. Um, also. Um, I love this question. If you had one thing to say to an alien, what would you say? And he basically says, uh, how did they get where they are today? Uh, Assuming, of course, that they are more advanced than us. And, you know, he wanted to know this because it gives us hope that we could also evolve one day as well. Mm -hmm. You know, similar. Uh, But it's a great interview. I hope the listeners check it out. Um, And it's... uh, was posted the other day and right on openminds.tv. I'm glad you liked it because I liked it too. It's fun. You know, a lot of us, of course, are Star Trek fans and it's always mm-hmm. hit or miss when you post anything about a celebrity because there are those celebrity haters out there who love to say, ah, oh, what do we care about what they have to say? But, um, you know, uh, I, I think that, um, Especially how this guy has lived with Star Trek his entire life and and had aliens part of his life. I think that makes it really interesting. And he's very nice. Uh, yeah. And he's very uh, 
encouraging. Like he's saying, you know, UFO guys, you know, get out there and do it. And uh, so that was really cool. I did like that video. And so uh, that's why I was really excited to kind of summarize it and post it. And he also says, you know, if just one of the UFO sightings, and there are so many, you know, they have to, you know, at least one of them has to be real. And if that's real, then, you know, that's, this is big. It really means something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and also, um, I think Star Trek, you know, whether people like it or not, is very, very, has been a very important thing because it's actually encouraged so many scientists or people to look into space. And, um, you know, I, I heard, uh, I watched a documentary and on that, and Star Trek is, is big. It's really big in a lot of people's pasts. And have encouraged them to, you know, instead of going to something else, you know, going into, say, astrophysics or something like that, you know? Exactly, Astronomy. right. Astronomy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, which makes it really important. And you know what I always find fascinating, too, and I often ask um, the directors and writers that I interview, um, some of which, you know, people have heard, actually, a couple times probably on the show, is... It seems that every, I think maybe you and I have talked about that, but every version of the future that is portrayed, especially the distant future, always includes aliens. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Isn't it? So it almost seems like it's this subconscious, like, uh, uh, expectation that we all have for the future. I think it's pretty realistic myself, actually. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So... Um, another cool thing, this was really neat is, uh, and I guess we didn't talk about this because you were, you were surprised when you saw it posted and I thought we had talked about it, but I guess not is Newsweek, the special edition that's out right now, right? Life beyond earth question mark, the mission to find the answer. So you're like, okay, it's Newsweek. This is going to have some great articles about NASA and astrobiology and how they're looking for microbes in space or something. But you open up the pages, and you see a bunch of UFO weirdos like me. Uh, <laughs> that's right. So they covered a lot of actual, not weirdos, I'm kidding, but a UFO research. Uh, they, they covered abduction. They covered, uh, uh, actually, what was impressive is they covered a lot of topics. They only touched on a lot of them. But they they covered a lot of topics, mostly about UFO research and alien abduction and stuff like this, mixed in with some stories like you would expect, the NASA stories, the SETI stories and stuff like that. But they treated them all very well across the board. And it was so cool that they did that, you know, mixed up these stories and took it all very seriously because, of course, the researchers they covered take it all very seriously, and many of whom are very, very interesting and I think have, you know, interesting things to share. So it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. Um, people can go to their grocery store. Uh, if you can't find it at your grocery store, then uh, you can go to Barnes & Noble or something and they'll have it there. But I've found it in the grocery stores out here, uh, the Newsweek Special Edition just on the newsstands, Life Beyond Earth. And uh, at the one of the last pages, they recommend a few books, and they recommend this podcast. I know. I couldn't believe it. How cool is that? Wow. 
That is amazing. With your logo and everything. Talk about free advertising. The logo and everything. <laughs> and uh, your subtitle that you put in there is Newsweek Special Edition Covers UFOs and the Search for Aliens in a Positive Light. And that's just exactly what it is, uh-huh. which is so good to see something like that. Yeah, and weird, huh? Yeah, it's. Uh, I would have never expected it, actually. Mm-hmm. Definitely a very pleasant... Have you been able to pick it up yet? I have not, but uh, I'm going to get down to Boston in a couple of days and pick one up. Mm-hmm. I'm in the main woods, you know. So here's a story that I, I haven't covered. I didn't even post it in my headlines. Um, but I want to talk about it here on the show because it's so funny. Um, and that is this guy. There's a ranch out here. That is supposedly this, um, you know, UFO ranch type of thing Mm. and where there's aliens and stuff like that. And I'm going to bring up this story. And one of the reasons I didn't cover it or anything is because um, it is a UK tabloid story. And for the most part, I haven't been covering those, even though you and I have been actually speaking more positively of these people as of late because they've done some uh, a few kind of interesting stories here and there. But mm-hmm. um, here it is. So it's in the Daily Mail. And of course, you know, they've got all of their racy stuff there. But And people will ask me about this guy. And you've probably heard the name, John Edmonds. People, do they ask you about this? doesn't sound familiar. Okay, so he's got this ranch out here in Buckeye where he said he's like um, slain 18 aliens with a samurai sword because they keep harassing him. And it (laughs) used to be one. See, my girlfriend, Karen, she actually went out there to investigate and meet the guy. And back then, you know, his claims were totally different because they're made up goofy stuff unfortunately, and people believe the guy. And and it's sad that he lies and everything, but obviously he is. So it used to be one alien, but now I guess he told the Daily Mail he's killed 18 of them because for 20 years they've been attacking him at his ranch. Um, And his wife, Joyce. So his wife, Joyce, when, of course, she, when my uh, girlfriend went out there, and she's thinking of writing a story. I hope she does. I'd love to post it on Open Minds where she shares her experience. You know, Joyce had said that she didn't remember anything or, or, or happening to her. But now she tells the Daily Mail that she was molested by an alien in her sleep. Um, but the, one of the reasons this story is up is they're trying to sell their ranch for $5 million. And they're... Goofy Alien Story has gotten some press lately. So originally they listed their property for $1 million. But they say because of their internet and TV fame as of late, they raised the price to $5 million. Now, does this include the 18 alien carcasses? Well, I guess we would find out because um, if you you would be able to find out is the alien are the alien experiences due to the location or them personally. And, uh, yeah. you know, what if this was real and then they leave and they find out, you know, they get an apartment, but they still have all these aliens attacking their apartment because it's them and, and not the, the property. Well, you know, he started it. He slain the alien to begin with. Mm-hmm. So. But, yeah, it's funny because Karen had gone out there where he, it was after he had slain an alien and, uh, you know, there was, there was no 
evidence he could point to, but he provided a picture to them of his samurai sword in like this, what looks like a kind of a pool of blood or something. Yeah, not to my girlfriend back there, but now they seem to have this, uh, as whereas they didn't have it before. And uh, so it's kind of funny, this samurai sword, they feel like they've been using really wild, crazy, goofy stories. And um, it's kind of big out here because people will say, have you been out there, you know, have you gone into it? And, and of course... As my listeners would know, this is not something I would really take seriously to begin with unless there was some reason to. Um, but, yeah, really, really wild stuff. So people can now, might run across okay. that story. Now, realistically, did he actually, when he's, he's slain these aliens, if he actually did, wouldn't he, like, be pretty excited to show a a body of a real slain alien to yeah. someone? I don't know what he says he does with the bodies. Um, uh, wow. Oh, she says, uh, Karen here, and she said he told her that they disappear. Of course they do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah. Kind of like that, the movies. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, but I guess the blood used to disappear, um, but apparently it's not disappearing anymore. Wow. Yeah. After you get up, you know, over 16 aliens, it doesn't disappear anymore. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Must Coding be. Coding and all that. Must be. Mm-hmm. Wow. Pretty funny. Pretty crazy <laughs> stuff. So people are going to run across this. And, you know, for those of you who have been wondering if I take John Edmonds' case seriously, because uh, I get asked that occasionally, and I do share that I do not take it seriously, and... uh yeah, so the story's changed, and for $5 million, you can buy his ranch. But I have a feeling, being in the real estate market myself, um, and when I told, you know, Karen, my girlfriend who does real estate with me, uh, she gets bummed when people don't use her <laughs> for real estate. And I was like, you're going to be bummed because your buddy John Edmonds is not only using you to list his estate and he's asking for five million dollars which he's not going to get anyway well you know um just having a little bit of knowledge in real estate i can tell you that you know even it has to be someone like a um an a celebrity before or a real historic home before mm-hmm. it's going to make any difference in price yeah by the way were these aliens possibly from the sun I'm just trying to tie this all in together. Children of the sun. Yeah. Um, I heard the, I heard they're pretty hot too. Yeah. Sorry oh, about that's that. cute. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, little joke. There. I am goofy, so I had to think of something. That was a goofy joke, that's for sure. Yeah. Mhm. Uh joke should be. Yeah. Uh not that I'm aware of. I do not believe that's the case even though it is so hot here. It feels like you're living in the sun. Uh I do True. not believe they're from the sun. Yeah, isn't that weird? But, you know, uh, getting back to the people in the sun thing, because there is, I don't know, it's difficult, because if if the person is who I think it is, he keeps making these really bombastic claims that are really wild and out there. And some of them, for instance, um, there's a guy who follows him and says, oh, you know, he got another UFO photo and this ought to give it away uh over mcdill air force base 
they're balloons, you know. And if these pictures would have been posted like to our UFO news group, we would have all said it's a balloon. Uh, in one case, it was long and skinny. It was totally one of those solar balloons. And so they're balloons. And actually, MacDill Air Force Base, I think we talked about this, wrote a story and made fun of the whole thing because they somehow <laughs> ran across that he was doing this. So they posted oh, something wow. on the website making fun of it. And um, I don't know. There, there are groups. There's people like him and others. And their followers just really throw discernment out the window. Um and, You're exactly right. Yeah. And it's like they're almost like they're grasping for something. You know, it's 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 really psychologically difficult to understand. It is until you just put it in the realm of religion. And uh-huh. because, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of religions are very similar. A lot of new religions pop up. That's why I did that talk about UFOs and religions at the conference. Yeah. Um, and it, it's one of them I like because the, the whole belief thing is intertwined and you know a lot of people will say i don't like to say but i believe i know well no you do believe and we do believe and we can't just i think it's dangerous for us to make blanket statements like that you may know because you've witnessed something and maybe you do know because of your experiences but the terminology of belief is still accurate because for instance if you ask a scientist about dark matter they would need to say, I believe dark matter is real, or I believe it's not. It's still the proper terminology. Dark matter is one I bring up because we can't prove there is such a thing as dark matter. We can prove that um, there's something similar, something going on, um, but mm-hmm. the dark matter might not be what's causing these these uh, um, observed anomalies or phenomena. And so... Yeah, belief is a big deal. We all believe different things, and we all may be right or wrong. But, yeah, when I guess your beliefs get so counter to reality where you just kind of throw it, throw it out the window and you want to call a balloon a, an alien spacecraft from the sun or something. Um, so what, what, what air base did you say this was? Where McDill. is that located? Yeah. McDill, McDill's kind of a big deal. It's uh, where they make. Um, but is that Las pickles. Vegas? No, no, it is in Florida. Sorry, I was stalling because oh, I was Florida. looking it up. So I was stalling with those terrible jokes and puns and stuff uh, while I was trying to look up where tell. it was. Tampa, no one Florida. Could tell that. Yeah. Okay, right. All right. Yeah. Huh. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, interesting stuff. But otherwise, let's see. Uh, For the UFO news that is out there, um, there is some interesting stuff. There have been some little events going on here and there. And you know what's funny? Travis always gets in the news, Travis Walton, so often. and, Mm And he was just out somewhere showing off his movie. Um, And it is so funny that uh, they cover him so often. Right. I mean, isn't he in the Newsweek article as well? Yeah, he is in the Newsweek as well. But he's always out there somewhere. I mean, he's traveling, doing talks in so many places that the local news will often write a little story about a UFO guy coming. And that's how he gets in the news so much and all these local papers and everything. Hmm. Wow. 
But you know what? We haven't even announced this. Uh, we're going to have some really cool Travis Walton stuff. Travis Walton is kind of a recurring thing at the UFO Congress, uh, one of right. the very few. But it's partially because we know him so well, and he's out here in Arizona. And, um, you know, Karen, my girlfriend, did run his 40th anniversary event, and she did a ton of work in kind of unearthing a lot of witnesses no one has ever talked to before. And so we're going to be bringing one of or two of those to the conference. One of those is the police officer that the guys oh. first um, talked to. And this guy's awesome. Straight shooter, well, isn't the older police guy. officer pretty, pretty elderly by now? He is. He is. Yeah. So this will be fun. And then also Travis's brother. And he, he shares really? what it was like for the family. And they have some interesting stories. So uh, we're Great. out of time, but yeah, that's going to yeah. be really cool. But thanks Excellent. for joining us for the news again, buddy. Yeah, you betcha. And let's go ahead. And after this short break, we'll be t- speaking with Robert Powell. Welcome back. You're listening to Open Mind UFO Radio, and I am here once again with Robert Powell. Hi, Alejandro. It's good to uh, talk to you again. Yeah, it's good to have you back. You're a frequent guest, but uh, I'm a a big admirer of your work. Well, thanks. We'll be talking about this USS Nimitz uh, project, and... The reason we're talking about this is because Tom DeLonge, you know, made this announcement for this organization he's putting together. And although Tom DeLonge has a lot of, you know, wild kind of ideas that, that he's talked about, the group he's put together are people who have worked in the government. And what they've said uh, in that press conference or what they've come out with, some of it, which ha- is really useful to us and new and different um in particular, this DOD project to look at unknowns. But it's not so different than the story the documents have put together, uh, like the documents you collected for for the book. Right, right. I think there are some similarities there. And I do know two of the individuals on Tom's uh, group, Chris Mellon and Hal Putoff, and I have a lot of respect for both of those gentlemen. Uh, and they both have what I consider a very conservative view of the UFO phenomenon, which is uh, similar similar to my view on the topic. Well, what I found interesting, and with speaking with you know Jay, one of the guys uh, also in the group who had a career in the uh, CIA, of course, Tom DeLong, the scenario that he paints is. Uh, like I said, very out there with abductions and and aliens and all of these things being included. However, on the flip side, the the picture that is painted by these gentlemen who were in the government um, is much different. And it kind of paints the picture, a picture uh, John Alexander uh, often puts forth. Uh, I think that your work in the book kind of uh, goes here. And it's... 
something that I think that is, is accurate as well. You know, other governments, it's somewhat similar in that they don't know a whole lot. They know there's a mystery and they, that they can't solve. But uh, otherwise, it doesn't seem like they know a whole lot more than that. Right. I, and that's what I was trying to uh, suggest when I was saying using the term conservative mm-hmm. for how Chris Mellon and, and how put off. Uh, I mean, how I've, I've talked to in person several times and Chris, I've talked on the phone with him over the course of two to three years, usually an hour at a time. So I'm very familiar with how they see the phenomenon and it's just like you uh, explained, Alejandro. I mean, it's no one knows a lot about it other than it physically exists and it appears to be intelligently controlled. But other than that, um, there's not a lot of information in terms of, you know, what's the origin? You know, is there something in the UFO or is it unoccupied? Uh, is it, um, I mean, clearly it radio, radar bounces off of it, but is it a, you know, a physical entity that exists in our, I'll just use the term space time, or is it something that's, you know, not exactly here? I mean, th- that's all in there. I'm speculating, right? Mm-hmm. So n- no one, no one really knows much about it. So I'm, when people start talking about aliens and the government, um, I'm I'm just not there. Um, I I just see it for the information that we have. Right, and I think that's important to build on the information that we have, and that's what's the, an interesting dynamic about this whole thing is that you have Tom DeLonge, and and you know I really like Tom. Um, he's he's a nice guy. He's an interesting guy. He had, he's passionate about this field, and I think personally, you know, getting this group of people together that he got to group get together was re- very important. Um, and getting us in contact with these people, who I think they can help us further our work. But what he's saying is just so much different than what the other guys are saying. Um, that it's kind of like, at least for me, uh, a lot of people kind of get up in arms about what Tom DeLonge is saying and, and doing. But uh, for me, we can't really do much with what Tom Tom's version of, of this whole phenomena is because he's not really providing any substance to back up a lot of the more um, wild kind of claims. Whereas... With this group of guys he's put together, these are guys who were in the government who, like us, have a genuine interest in looking at this phenomena in a credible way and right. and are kind of in the same place as starting off with, with, which is kind of just like this scenario we just talked about. Right, and I can understand people's concerns, right? I mean, if I did not know how, and I did not know Chris, and I had first seen this, right? Mm-hmm. And mostly you're hearing what Tom is saying. I would have been uh, very skeptical of the entire thing. But because I do know Chris and Hal and know that those guys are very conservative uh, scientifically, especially Hal, 
scientifically based individuals, um, I know that their intent is good. Now, I'm not as familiar, you know, with the other guys that are on the stage, Lou and Jay, so I can't comment one way or another. But um, I, I'm open to it because of of what of what I know of Chris and uh, Hal. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised by Lou Elizondo's claims of of this uh, unidentified threat uh, project he was on in the DOD? Yeah, I, I was somewhat surprised by that, and I w- would like to hear more information about it um, because I guess my my thoughts on this is if he has right he when he left. Uh, the DOD. I'm sure he had non-disclosure agreements he had to sign and government oaths that he had to sign. So he can probably release information that is not classified. But he, I don't see how he can release information that is classified. Um, so to that extent, I'm thinking, okay, well, how does he establish that um, UFOs are real? Now, when I say UFOs are real, uh, in my mind, there's no doubt that they're real because I've studied, you know, hundreds of cases and, and it becomes just a mountain of evidence that tells me that. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you're talking to the public and you're trying to s- establish that UFOs are real and you're going to do it with one case, for example, and you're going to have photographs and videos where there's no doubt about it. Well, I'm just not sure how he could do that with information that's unclassified. But my view here is time will tell. So if he can do it, then I'm all for it. So I'm willing to wait and see what can he present. What I think is this scenario, and you can tell me if you think differently, um, is that he worked at this capacity looking at these unknowns um, then he personally came to the conclusion that some of these are technology that are beyond ours. Um, and that now that he has left, knows of material that can be uh, declassified and, and shared publicly that perhaps he feels bolsters his case, but that it's perhaps not a an official stance of this organization. Right. Right. I, I, I think what you just said, I can agree with, I just don't know based on that. How can he convince the majority of the public that, you know, UFOs are, are definitely real. That's what's going to be exciting because hopefully we'll be, he's going to be sharing material apparently. And hopefully uh, it seems like, this will be stuff we haven't seen before. Um, perhaps nobody in the public has seen. So um, that's exciting because it, yeah. it, hopefully it's very compelling. That that I think that's uh, really exciting. And, and it, just to clarify what I, I said there for your audience, uh, there are a good number of people with science backgrounds that I know that have studied the topic in detail, right? They've reviewed hundreds of cases and after reviewing all those, there's no doubt, I believe, in, in most of these people's mind that the UFO phenomenon is real. But it's if, if you follow what I'm saying, it's not like 
you can just throw out one case and nail it down. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's more of studying the history of the phenomenon in all these hundreds of cases that have radar data, visual data, radar and visual data to, together in combination that makes you know that uh, it's a physically real phenomenon that's intelligently controlled. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, that's all we know. Right, right. And and he seems to be careful to not go any further than that either. Oh, that's Lou that you're talking about? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, and you know when I talked uh I talked to Chris and it uh he did indicate that in the next few weeks they should be releasing some more interesting information. So, I'm I'm looking forward to that. And I'm willing to give them a chance to see what what they have. Yeah, exactly. And and I guess, you know, a lot of people keep calling this Tom DeLong and Tom DeLong, Tom DeLong, you know, over and over again. And Tom was a facilitator of all of this. But, you know, really, Tom's pieces are not what I'm most interested in currently. I'm more interested, what I see is kind of something totally separate which is this To the Stars Academy with how Putov and Chris Mellon and Lou and all these guys were talking about um, because they're similar to us. I mean, they're, they're guys with a passion for this phenomenon who um, are looking to, you know, figure it out. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I mean, with all due respect to Tom DeLong, that's his part's not the part that interests me. It's mm-hmm. what the other guys can provide that's of interest to me. So one of the things that they provided, and this was a cool part of it too, especially given who Chris Mellon is, and and maybe we should start off with that, was this Nimitz case that he talked about, which was one of the more exciting parts of the press conference. Um, But Chris, so Chris Mellon uh, first kind of came out about UFOs uh, when he joined this UFO data organization, which now you're a part of. Um, Maybe you can describe what that organization is. Yeah, the UFO data program um, is a a program whose goal is to develop uh, basically camera systems that use uh, gratings on the camera lens so that you can get a spectrum of light so that if you detect an object at night, the spectrum of that object tells you a lot more than just a light on a photograph screen. With the spectra, you can determine the different wavelengths that are being emitted and whether or not the light from the object matches a known light, such as a halogen light or an aircraft light, etc. So that's kind of what UFO data uh, is all about, is developing a system that can capture real-time uh, spectral information and, and hopefully optical information on unknowns. Mm-hmm. And when was the first time you heard about Chris Mellon working on all of this? Well, I think the first time that I talked to Chris was probably two or three years ago. Um, but the I can tell you something interest, interesting on the, on the case that he mentioned, which happened in November of 2004. I probably talked to Chris four months ago, Alejandro, on this case. Because I've been working the case over a year. And when I talked to Chris four months ago, 
he did not have much information on that case. I mean, he was aware of it, and he had indicated that uh, he knew that there were files in the government on it, but he didn't have any details like you heard him uh, give at the press conference. So that means somewhere in the last four months, one of the guys on the team gave Chris some very interesting information on that case. Um, some of the comments he made in the press conference on the case are is information that I was not aware of yet. Hmm. And I, I've been working this case since, gosh, June of last year. And I've submitted over nine FOIAs. I've already done two appeals on the FOIAs that were denied. Uh, so I've got a lot of interesting information on the case, um, some information that he did not reveal. But like I said, the interesting thing is that he has gotten this information from someone else. So to me, that's a positive, right? That means there is someone on the team that has access to some good information. What's interesting about Chris, of course, having access to information is his background. Not only, of course, has he worked in the CIA and the Department of Defense, and he was Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence for a period yeah. of time. So, yeah, so a big, big deal. And beyond that, his background is the Mellon family, which is kind of like the, the Rockefeller family. I mean, Carnegie Mellon. Right. Uh, yep. Is there a name? Mellon uh, Banking. Uh, so he comes from a very interesting background, which I'm sure is going to add to the conspiracy, uh, you know, theories that will begin to <laughs> that are probably already out there. I haven't seen much, but I'm sure they're yeah, coming. Yeah, there will always be those. But, you know, I've when I first talked to Chris uh, a couple of years ago, I asked his view on the UFO phenomenon. And it was the same as mine. He, I mean, basically he said he feels that, you know, the government knows that it's real, that it exists. But other than that, uh, he doesn't feel that they know much more than what uh, most of us who have researched the topic in depth know about it. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jay had told me, which was the other guy who had a, career in the CIA. And what's interesting is Rockefeller was into UFOs. Uh, one of the Rockefellers, I should say. Rockefeller, of course, is many people, so you can't just say Rockefeller. But Lawrence right. Rockefeller was into the paranormal, did a lot of funding of UFO projects and things. And he had a similar stance. He had access to a lot of people. But, you know, most of his research was based off of the same sort of documents that you and I have looked at. So like the Condon report, let's say, or um, the French report that uh, that was made. I can't remember the name right now. But uh, some of these other great UFO reports that have been put together and then he put together his own. But it was a similar situation um, in that they really feel there's something to all of this, but even with all of their connections, they don't necessarily, uh, or at least have not discovered any sort of secret, um, super secret MJ-12 type of organization in the government. Right. And, and the way I look at it is I believe that there are times the government hides information, right? And that mm -hmm. there's things the government knows that they don't tell the public. Just like you said, there, I don't believe that there is a government organization 
that through time has continued to research it. Take, for example, this case from November 2004. I know those documents exist, and I know that the government has probably classified them and put them somewhere, right? But other than having done that, I I don't think that there's a government agency that says, okay, we've got these documents now. There was a case in 1957 with uh, RB47 bomber, right? And how does this relate to that? And how does this relate to that case that happened in Stephenville? Or how does it relate to, you know, any other case? I just don't think that there are these feelers that uh, are analyzing all of that information. I think it's more silo based, right? It's like, okay, this this happened uh, to the Nimitz and the USS Princeton. Let's uh, let's investigate this. Okay, here's what happened. Yeah, this is hard to believe. Uh, let's stick this over here, and we'll forget about it and go on with our lives. I think that's how they operate. Do you think there should be at least uh, a Nick Pope out there, and what I mean by that, a UFO desk that the government has where they are coalescing this information? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, you you were indicating that's kind of what Lou is doing. And uh, definitely over history, there have been organizations that did that off and on, right? I mean, that's what Project Blue Book uh, mm-hmm. supposedly was about. So I think that has been done on and off. And, you know, I, I argue with myself sometimes about, you know, surely there's someone out there that's, that's really analyzing all this information, right? Because just from a scientific, logical viewpoint, you would think, okay, there has to be. Mm-hmm. But then the other side of me says, no, there's, I can't find any indication there is. It, it's almost like... And this is just, okay, here I'm speculating, but this is almost like, okay, we're the top of the totem pole. And deep inside me, I don't want it to hear anything that says we're not the top of the totem pole. So if my subconscious hears that, I'm sticking it over here and let's go on with our life. Mm-hmm. It's almost, uh, you, you know what I mean? It's almost like an, a societal issue that goes beyond a government that tries to hide information or an individual. It's almost like is a human race, there is a, uh, a deep uh, barrier to considering. Here, here's a good example. Take SETI, right, which is a scientific organization to study extraterrestrial life out in the universe. If you ask, okay, is there extra intelligent life, you know, uh, out there? And you'll get answer from the scientists that say, yes, we believe there is intelligent life out there. And you could ask, is it more intelligent than us? And I think you're going to get the same answer from most scientists, right? Which is, yes, there is life that may be hundreds to thousands of years more intelligent than us. Then when you ask the next question, Okay, if that intelligent life is out there that's more intelligent than us, who's going to find who first? But the answer clearly has got to be the more intelligent life form is going to find the less intelligent life form first, right? Mm. But when you read all the science articles, 
and everything, it's all geared towards that it's us that finds them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so that when you ask them this final question to someone, for example, in SETI, and you say, okay, if they're much more advanced than us, then clearly they know we're here, right? Just like right now with all these extrasolar planets, we're only a few decades decades away of knowing which of those planets in their atmosphere have the gases that indicate that there's life. So why can't they get here? And then, of course, the answer is always, well, we can't travel at the speed of light, and therefore no one else can, so there's no way they can get here. Yet last month, I just went to a a conference where you had people from NASA United States Air Force and major universities. And the topic was, how can we send a spacecraft to Alpha Centauri at 20% of the speed of light and get it there in 20 years? So, so you see how it's like on one hand, we can talk about, well, we might be able to get there. But if you talk about a race thousands of years more advanced than us being able to get here, it's like, okay, that's taboo. We're, we're just not even going to entertain that thought. Yeah, that is an excellent, excellent point, because it is almost like cognitive dissonance. It's almost like, you know, you have on the one hand, they believe there's advanced civilizations out there. But on the other hand, we're going to find them before they find us. That doesn't jive. That doesn't make sense. So we are, it's a great place to break. Uh, we'll come back from the break and we will talk about the Nimitz case, but I think that's an excellent point. We're here with Robert Powell. You're listening to Open Mind UFO Radio. We'll take a quick break. Some of you listening on KGRA will hear uh, some sh- commercials. So be sure to patronize these lovely people who help KGRA stay on the air. And for those of you listening to the podcast, you'll hear a few seconds of music, but we'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Open Mind UFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and we are here with Robert Powell. Hello, Robert. Hi, Alejandro. Well, you just made some excellent points. Thanks so much. Um, and uh, to kind of set the, the stage here, but, and, and that's what's interesting, even though, you know, people may disagree what they do do with the information, uh, you know, and, and it's one of the things that John Alexander says, who worked in intelligence for so long and tried to look into this, that these UFO things are hot potatoes. And, and you know, he, he's, he doesn't, you know, mix words. He says, essentially, the UFO issue is dropped by the government, and it shouldn't be because out of ignorance and incompetence, and these are the sort of words he uses, that uh, which is frustrating, especially to him and to others, because it's an important thing, especially when you have cases like the Nimitz case. So maybe you could start off with uh, when did this happen, uh, and and where and to whom. Okay, so the Nimitz case occurred on November fourteenth of two thousand and four, and it happened with um, 
an, a carrier battle group 11, which is made up was at the time was made up of the USS Princeton, uh, which is a, um, a, a guided missile carrier, sorry, uh, frigate. And then you have the Nimitz, and then you have F-18s from both the Marines and the Navy. I think the Louisville was the submarine assigned to that carrier group, and there, there are other smaller ships assigned. So this group was practicing about 70 to 100 miles southwest of San Diego. So it's just a routine, um, you know, exercises. And while they're out there in the ocean, the USS Princeton, for uh, a number of days, had been picking up on their radar some object that was moving. It would be up at 80,000 feet, and then suddenly it's right near the ocean surface. So it was moving vertically at a very rapid uh, speed. And the USS Princeton had, at that time, uh, what's called spy dash one radar, which was the most advanced radar that we had. And it, it basically operates by scanning across all, all sorts of different frequencies simultaneously in order to maintain a contact with an object. So on November 14th, this object shows up. And so the, uh, Princeton, first calls a Marine F-18, and when they call the uh, aircraft to go check this out, and when they call that, there's also an airborne um, aircraft, one of the kind of similar to an AWACS, but the Navy uses what they call the E-2C, but it's, a, it's an AWACS. So uh, they're in communication with this AWACS. The AWACS says, yes, he sees the target, but it kind of comes and goes. So his radar is not picking up, picking it up as well as the Princeton. So they vector this uh, Marine F-18 to the location. So he's headed there, and as he's going to the location, um, he gets a call from the Princeton and tells him to leave the area because they have now contacted two F-18s from the Nimitz, and they're on their way. So two Super Hornets are headed uh, there. So he leaves the scene, and apparently as he's leaving, he also sees in the water. He, he doesn't see the object, any objects in the air, but in the water, um, he noted that the water was crystal clear. There's, you know, it was almost like glass, but he sees a bubbling as if, you know, a ship was sinking, was his best description of what it looked like. But he vectors away because the F-18s are coming in. So the two F-18s come in. And in their conversation with the Princeton, that Princeton asked, okay, do you guys have anything on your radar? They replied back, no, there is nothing on our radar at the coordinates that you're sending us to. So meanwhile, they continued towards those coordinates. And as they approach it, though, then they visually see this object. And it's not clear if it was one or two objects, but the object is described as a tic-tac. And for your Listeners who recall those little candy Tic Tacs that come in a little plastic jar and they've got a, they're kind of a white, long, elongated oval. So that's how he described them. So the two F-18s are approaching. And as they see the Tic Tac, the Tic Tac has no wings, has there's no method of propulsion. But the Tic Tac's front begins to 
turn and point towards the F-18. So the pilot considers that an aggressive maneuver. So one F-18 goes up to a higher altitude. The other F-18 engages the Tic Tac. I mean, by engage it, he is trying to get behind the Tic Tac so that it's in front of him. And so he does some type of, yeah, I'm not familiar with the maneuvers that uh, Navy pilots use, but he uses this maneuver to try to get behind the Tic Tac, but the Tic Tac is, goes behind him, is sitting behind him. And these, you know, maneuvers go on for a number of seconds, and then the Tic Tac just leaves. And it's either one or two Tic Tacs, but the Tic Tacs leave the scene. The F-18s can't keep up with them because they left so, uh, at such a high rate of speed. They head back to the Nimitz. They're on their way back to the Nimitz, and then the Princeton calls them and says, those targets are back exactly where they were when you first encountered them. So the two F-18 pilots say, we do not have enough fuel to go back and, and engage them, so we're going to continue to the Nimitz. And supposedly the Nimitz then sends two other F-18s to that same location. Now, at this point, I don't know exactly what happens there. And there's video taken. And my best, as far as I can put the pieces together, is I think the video was taken by the two F-18s that came after the first two F-18s encountered the object. And there's a, there is an IR video that's been leaked to the Internet. Um, I've been able to verify it is the type of video that an F-18 during that era would have used. Uh, but whether or not it is actually the video, I don't know. Um, but that's not what's important to me. What's more important was a dis- the description given um, – by the pilots when all of this happened. And this description basically was released um, by another pilot on a Navy blog site. So this is not on some UFO site where I first found this information. It's on a Navy blog site by a naval aviator who normally writes about jets. He doesn't write about UFOs. But he does have this one story. So that's kind of... um, a summary of that event. And so all total, there are five Navy assets involved. There's the Nimitz, USS Princeton, a total of four Navy F-18s and a Marine F-18 and a Navy airborne uh, electronics aircraft similar to an AWACS. Mm -hmm. So I, in December of last year, I submitted nine FOIAs, which that's the Freedom of Information Act request, which a government organization is supposed to answer your request for information as long as it's not classified. And if it is classified, they're supposed to tell you. So I send these requests for information on all five of these naval assets, and I send it to nine different uh, Navy and Marine sites. So by April, I have received a um, denial from every one of those. And the denial basically says 
we have no information responsive to your request. They didn't state this is classified or anything. Basically, they just said we went and looked for the information. We can't find any information. Hmm. End of story. So then what you're allowed to do with a FOIA is you're allowed to appeal it, but you appeal it to the same organization that you first sent the request to. It's kind of like the fox guarding in the, yeah. you know, the hen house. So I appeal it. Now, the appeal goes to the, uh, at the judge advocate general, which most people have heard the uh, phrase in the Navy, JAGS, right? So that's, that's the judge advocate general group, which basically are attorneys that work in the Navy. So the, the very first appeal, uh, they denied the appeal. And the reason was that as long that, and they cite federal court cases, as long as they made a reasonable attempt to search, then that is sufficient. That's what the courts have ruled. So then I sent a second appeal. But this time I did something a little different. I wrote an email to the to the guys I sent the appeal to because it's the same guys that got the first appeal, right? And so I said, okay, your argument that as long as we did a sufficient look for information is sufficient. I said, that's reasonable. But I said, in this second appeal, what I'm arguing is you're talking about five different naval assets that occurred on a given date, and you're telling me that on all five naval assets, you can't find any records. And I said, whether or not a federal court judge would buy that argument, I said, I don't know. But I said, I don't know that our congressman will buy that argument. <laughs> and then I copied my congressmen and senators on that second appeal. Okay, so guess what happens? In the second appeal, they still don't give me the documents, but they do try to give me something, right? In other words, they're wanting to give, you know, give me something. Appease so you some way. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and let, me, let me make a note here to your listeners. I don't think the JAG attorneys or the FOIA officers, you know, that, that search these documents for me, I don't think they're trying to hide anything. They're just doing their job. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is because what I think happens is with the military is you have documents, right? And, and remember, this is happened 13 years ago. So those documents get archived somewhere, right? And they just don't want to have to deal with trying to dig up these documents. Mm -hmm. And and they may not, even if they worked harder, they might still not get the documents because these documents could have been classified or they could have been shipped to some special location. You know, who knows? Um, but at any rate, here was the neat part. So the JAG guys call, make some phone calls uh, down to the one of the Marine groups that was involved in this. And they send me back the emails of their conversations with these Marines officers. So one of the neat ones was a, uh, this was a Marine Lieutenant Colonel. 
and he's replying back to a JAG officer who's saying, you know, we've got this FOIA request. Do you guys have any or know of any information on this? And, and this lieutenant colonel goes, Tic Tacs? Oh, yeah, I know about Tic Tacs. And he goes, oh, wow. <laughs> he, said, he says, he goes, uh, there were a bunch of officers involved with this. And Officer X and Officer Y, he, I've got their names, but I, I don't want to say them, you know, I'm, I'm not going to you know, mm -hmm. mention their names. Uh, he goes, Officer X and Officer Y, they saw the video. And, and so, you know, I was like, wow, why, why did the JAG guys send me this? You know, and I'm just thinking, well, either number one, they, they just didn't realize what they were sending me. Or two, maybe they just thought this is really interesting themselves and maybe we'll give him a, a bone and see if he can get some more information or something. So that was interesting. And then I got another, they sent me another email and this was from a major in the Marines. And this major goes, he said, well, we don't have these documents anymore, but these documents would have been archived. And they said, you should be able to get a point of contact who can help you find these documents in the archives. Wow. So it's, you know, it, so it's like, okay, so now I'll, I'll appeal the appeal, right? Mm -hmm. Is to, and I'm in the process of writing up the second appeal now. Based on that information, because he said right. they should be able to find them. Exactly. They should be able to find them. And in the other email they send me tells me this event occurred. This is a real event. You know, so, what's funny is, you know, I've ran across this before, too, where, you know, okay, you're a UFO guy. And luckily, typically, and you're probably the same because you come across as grounded, you're able to build somewhat of a rapport with the person you're working with. If you can talk to them directly or even online, you can a bit uh, by the right. way you approach them. And and you can tell there's this, oh, it's, you know, a UFO guy with a UFO request. And... But though, if they come back with something interesting, it seems with some of these people, it's the first time they've considered UFOs. I mean, exactly. Yeah. So it's like they, so they're just as shocked as you are that right. holy crap, this guy, these guys are taking it serious. Yeah, and and I'm in my in the back of my mind, I'm like, I wish I could sit down with these Jag guys just out of curiosity because I bet they're going, wow, this is really weird. What, yeah. what did happen on November 14th? I, I think they would like to know also. Mm -hmm. and you know, but at, mm -hmm. at the same time, they're not going to push it too hard because that's not their job. Right. Yeah. They've got their jobs to do. So that is really, really fascinating and because it shows, too, that this was a big deal to these guys, that they still remember it. Oh, yeah. It, it was like <laughs> I think it's embedded in their memory. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that video does come out. And um, do you have hope in your experience? Um, do you think that video is around and you think there's hope to get it? Um, well, like I said, there's one that's leaked on the Internet. But whether or not that is truly the original video, I don't know. So in terms of getting it, uh, the only way I think that we can have success, and I talked to Chris Mellon uh this was his suggestion. I, I like the idea. It, and this is what I'm doing on a face, you know, on the Facebook site for um, the Scientific Coalition for Ufology, which has a, a public Facebook site. 
is I'm putting these stories there. And what I'm going to ask when I get to the end of these stories I've been putting on the Facebook site is for individuals who feel that there's some likelihood this case is real to contact their congressman and the Senate Armed Services uh, Subcommittee and ask that they request a debriefing from the Navy on this case. Now, that debriefing will, will be a um, have to be done in secret, right? That that won't be uh, something that would be a public debriefing. But once those congressmen start hearing the case, I think you know they will start asking more and more questions. And that so is, I think it would eventually come out. That's exciting. Of course, who comes to mind? I'm here in Arizona. Is John McCain, and it almost feels like John McCain is. He knows his time's limited, and he's. Uh, it seems like that has given him him some um, more bravado, some more. Uh, uh, he he's kind of, as <laughs> Sarah Palin put it, going rogue again. In that he's doing his own thing. He's doing what's important to him. Um, Absolutely, and and the nice thing, Alejandro, is guess who is the head of the Senate Armed Services Committee. Right. It's John McCain. So it's, and this is how those things work. It's got to be a perfect storm type of situation. Right. And he's an an ex Navy pilot. Mm -hmm. So if, if we can just somehow get him to review the documents, I think it will ring true for him. Mm -hmm. Well, it's an exciting case and another example of some work very well done on your part. So really, really interesting stuff. Now, we're almost out of time. So uh, I guess in this last minute, uh, you mentioned SCU. So you used to be with MUFON. You were like the director of research. Uh, That's where we first really interacted the most was when we were directors together there. And then um, you had the scientific board. But now you're working with the Scientific Coalition for Ufology. Uh, They're the guys who did the Homeland Security investigation, or I should say you or we, because I'm a part of the group. I didn't do the investigation like you all did or some of the others. But um, And so that's expanding, and that's kind of where you a lot of your work is is uh, being uh, done, is with this new uh, Scientific Coalition for Ufology. Right. That's, that's correct. So that's kind of a, a new group where um, the members are mostly either investigators, uh, you know, out of either the military or law enforcement. Uh, or the members are have science backgrounds. So uh, we have a lot of chemists, geologists, and physicists uh, that are part of this group. Mm-hmm. I think we have almost 25 people in the group currently. Yeah, so cool stuff. So, And we're working closely with like UFO Data um, and uh, KUFOS, uh, the group that J. Allen Hynek started up, and, and others because we all uh, have like you – uh, and I have both worked with the Chilean government people, people you've worked a lot with the people in France. Um, so yeah, high hopes and, and a lot of great people who are doing real work in the group. So it's exciting and we'll be sharing more information this a little later this week on the group. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. Well, thank you once again for coming on the show. Fascinating stuff. And uh, thanks again. 
Yeah. Great talking to you as always, Alejandro. Have a great week. Thank you so much to Robert Powell for being on the show again. That was great. He's always here to share wonderful information. And there actually is some news. So Jeremy Corbell, interestingly enough, just posted that he confirmed that one of the videos that was leaked that uh, Robert was referring to of that Tic Tac uh, object was confirmed that it's real. So he's got this video up at his site, Extra, Extraordinary Beliefs. You probably remember that from when he was on the show recently. But I'll also put that up on my Facebook so you all could see that, and I'll tweet it. So really, really interesting stuff. And you can see, you know, the tic-tac shape in that. But thank you to Robert uh, for being on the show and sharing his information. An excellent researcher. I highly recommend everything that he works on. Go find that UFO and Governments. I think you can find it on Amazon, but you can Google it and find that book. A ton, a ton of information in that book uh, regarding UFOs. And uh, also he referred to the Scientific Coalition for Ufology. Like I said, we're going to have more up on that later this week at openminds.tv, but I'll put the link there uh, on his page for that at explorescu.org. Another great organization that's going to be doing some really good work here in the near future. So good stuff. I want to thank Martin Willis from Podcast UFO for joining us at the beginning of the show. I want to thank Caleb Hanks and Systematics for the music. Uh, during the show, you can see more about Caleb Hanks at the UFO Radio website and and more about his work ufo congress we have more speakers listed really really cool stuff we're super excited about that and remember at the ufo congress on demand video page we are posting uh videos from the lectures that you can go for just a few dollars a month and watch tons and tons of incredible lectures including from people like robert powell Jeremy Leslie Kane, who we had on the show last week. Really, really good stuff. And as usual, we're going to have rare uh, appearances from people that you probably won't see anywhere else. Um, luckily, we have a lot of great friends and a lot of great associations. So we're able to bring speakers that others aren't. So check it out at ufocongress.com. Otherwise, I'll talk to you next week. Until then... Adios, muchachos.